All right. We're going to jump back into the book of Nehemiah this morning. This is the book that we've been working through um, for the summer so far. And uh, this morning, we're going to go back to Nehemiah chapter 4. Um, two weeks ago, we actually skipped a section of Nehemiah. Uh, ben Tissel uh, gave it an incredible message last week. And um, we're going we're gonna to back up and, and cover the bit that we missed a couple weeks ago. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Nehemiah chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 15 through 20 this morning. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded or supplies, were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had a sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me, Nehemiah, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that this morning you would teach us. You help us to listen to your word for us, Lord, even as we consider your word for your people then. I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if this is your first dip into Nehemiah, I don't want to spend too much time sort of filling in the gaps or, or the context, but it's actually pretty simple. Uh, this is the story of the ancient people of God, Israel, who um, had been exiled. Jerusalem, the capital city of Judah, had been sacked by the Babylonians, um, but yet now they have been allowed to return. The temple has actually been rebuilt, and Nehemiah, who's now become the governor of Jerusalem, has seen fit to begin rebuilding the wall. They want to restore the city. They believe, and Nehemiah has actually sort of heard God, as it were, that he's not done with his people, he's not done with the city, um, and so they're, they've got this vision to rebuild this place. So they've been working on this wall now uh, for quite some time. Um, we'll read in a couple of chapters that they actually do, in fact, complete the wall project, and it takes them exactly 52 days, apparently. So they've been working on this wall. Now, it might even just go without saying, but it must be said anyways, that the, the point of reading Nehemiah and considering these ancient events isn't so that we, too, can, like, build a wall, or figure out like, what it takes to, to lead a work crew to build a wall. Um, and so you might say, well, okay, then what, what is the point? Why are, why are we reading this? Um, well, there's a lot of reasons. Uh, one, it's, it's, it's our history. You want to, I mean, consider the story of God. Like, what is this, this, this great story, this 
tradition, this ancient faith we call Christianity, where, where did it begin? Like, what's the backstory, and where do we fit in? And so it's actually quite helpful to go back and, and, and read the story of God and, and begin to, to put the pieces together and, and see how God has been this incredibly faithful God in, in leading his people on this journey and, 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 and intervening and rescuing and, and judging and redeeming and all of these things that God had been doing and was continuing to do even up until this point in the story. But, considering we're not living back then, um, we're still God's people, but we are now living in the wake of God who entered into creation. The story of how God became one of us. Jesus. God with us. Continuing the story, continuing the work that he had begun way back then, but, but now in, in our lives, in our city. And so we immediately need to begin wondering, okay, so what does this mean for us without simply allegorizing the story? What, what, are, the, what are the implications? What is God foreshadowing in this story? And perhaps even what are some of the principles? Is there wisdom to be gleaned from the way Nehemiah is leading God's people? And, and there's a lot there. There's many layers and angles that we could consider um, and and I, think, I think we must. That's why we're studying through this book of Nehemiah. Um, but we're not trying to build a wall. Okay, that's, we are actually trying to, com- well, that's not entirely true. We have walls downstairs that I really want to hang drywall on. So, but I'm resisting the temptation to go there, all right? We'll build our walls. But there are, there are principles. There's something that God was doing then that points us to the work that God has done in Jesus and the work that he's continuing to do um, in his people's lives today, our our lives, his church. So I want us to consider what is it about this story that would help us to understand, like, what what is the plot? What's God's great passion? What is this work he's doing? And why, what is he, what does he want to do? in our lives today. Um, there are some, I would argue, there are some pretty obvious parallels in the story. I mean, even just like this, this idea of building um, with the tool in one hand and the weapon in the other. I mean, that, that's like a picture of life if there ever was one. Um, going through life, for, and if you are a Christian, okay, you, you're, you're trying to follow Jesus, you're trying to get your head around the story. Like, what is God up to? Um, what are his promises to us for me? What does that look like? What are the good works that God has prepared for us? And even my life as an individual. Um, and, and how do I get about it? Like, what, what kind of tools do I need? What is this building project going to look like? And, and what about all the opposition in life? Whether it's actual spiritual opposition or a systemic opposition where there's injustice and, and forces of wickedness at work in the world trying to tear down the good work that God is doing? How do I engage in this building project slash fight that the Bible talks about over and over and over? And so there's a clear parallel there. We've all been assigned sort of a portion of the wall to build in our own lives. And, and that's what we do. I've got my wall, my, my little portion of the wall that I've been working on now as I've been um, doing my best to follow Jesus for a little while now. Um, 
And for sure, my bit of the wall probably doesn't look exactly like your bit of the wall, but we've all got um, a part to play. We've all got work to do, and it's good work. Um, it can be quite challenging work, but it's fulfilling work. And so we've got, we've got our little bits of the wall. Sometimes I think we can uh, make the mistake of sort of getting too focused or myopic on one aspect of the work or another. Perhaps we're all about build, 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 and we forget that actually there's some fighting to do as well, and we can be caught off guard by how difficult life and following Jesus can be, and we can find ourselves caught up in what feels like this um, like storm of life or some sort of a attack, as it were, and wonder to ourselves, what, what, did, what did I do wrong? Why, why does God hate me? And we forget, dude, you're, you're in a fight, man. The Bible, the New Testament even speaks plainly about, like, the fight. There is a fight. So where'd you leave your sword, man? Pick up your sword. Get your shield in hand. There is a fight. Let's fight. Equally, though, you can obsess over the fight. You can be like, it's all about the fight. Everything's spiritual warfare. Everything's the devil. And, and you could be so focused on the fight, you forget that we're, we're here to build something. Like, Jesus is building his church. He's got a vision for his church, and he wants to not just fight. He wants to build something, and whatever fighting needs to be done, it's because God has a vision, a good vision of redemption for his creation, this world. And so we're called to build as well. And, of course, sometimes there is just the uh, good old-fashioned monotony of carrying your burden. You know, I was talking with my wife Shirley yesterday about how, how in life I think we all desire to find meaning. In fact, I would argue that it's, it's like an inherent, fundamental human desire to, to matter, to, to know that like, there's a reason to get out of bed in the morning. Significance. I need it. I want to experience it. Um, but... Sometimes it feels like 99% of life is like the in-between bits. Like there's the, the awesome, like, man, I am fulfilling my purpose. Life is amazing. This is awesome. And then there's like the Monday through Saturday. Just, I'm, yeah, I'm just, I got my burden, carrying my work supplies and getting to work. I'm being faithful with the little. And that's a part of life as well. So I can go on and on and on. There's, there's all sorts of wonderful parallels between like the building project and life. But what I want us to focus on this morning is the trumpet. The call to rally. Notice at the end, um, you know, the, the work is being described and you know, carrying the sword and everyone's got their little bit on the wall. And, and then there's the person who's standing next to me at Nehemiah who's been assigned the task of sounding the trumpet Anytime but there's presumably like the threat of attack. Because they're all spread out. All of God's people are all in. That, that's another thing. We can all get like focused on our little bit of the wall and forget that actually like my bit's not the wall. The, the work that God has given me to do, that's, that's just like a piece of the wall. And if I forget that like I'm a part of something way bigger than myself and God is is doing something in the world that is way bigger than like my little private 
aspirations for significance and, and whatnot, like I am a part of something bigger, even bigger than my lifetime. It's one of the things I love about God's story. It's, 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 it's transcontinental. It, like, it, it, it exceeds uh, a single generation, it exceeds a single culture. It's, it's this beautiful tapestry that includes time and culture and history and, and all of these things. And I'm, I'm a part. I'm a part of that. Um, and if I forget that, I could spend my whole life not working on a wall, but just like a partition. Like just a single little piece. And that's not, that's not the vision. And so there's one who's assigned to sound the trumpet. So that when the people of God, in this case, these people building a wall, hear the sound, they're meant to rally, to come together, because then our God will fight for us. So I want to consider, what, is, what, is, what might it look like for us? We're working on our respective parts of the wall, as it were. How do we rally? What's the trumpet sound? What do we rally around? What's most important? Who gets to hold the trumpet? Who gets to decide? And what does it sound like? How do we know when we're rallying to the right place? What if someone decides, man, I'll, go, I'll get my own trumpet. I'll buy it off of Amazon. And I'll get everyone to rally around this other thing that I think is, is central to God's building project. So let, let's consider this. What is the rally call for our church? Now, look, this is not going to be like the definitive message on the subject. Um, oh, maybe it will be. Well, let's see. Let's see what happens. Um, but I'm aware that a message like this, the things that the Lord has put on my heart to share with our church this morning, this is not exhaustive. I think God's vision is way, way bigger than a 30-minute sermon. But I do, I feel quite strongly that this is something that God wants us to consider. And these are some aspects of the rally call that I think are for us this morning. Number one, when the trumpet sounds, God's people rally worship that's where we need to start when the trumpet sounds when the spirit of God calls to attention all of us all of God's people we begin with a response in worship I want to read to you um, two passages out of the book of Revelation. And this is, this is rather lengthy, so, so bear with me. But it's, it's so beautiful and the imagery is so vivid. Uh, it says in Revelation chapter 11. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. This is the final trumpet call. When the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there, was, there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever and the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying 
We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged. And for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great. And for destroying the destroyers of the earth. In Revelation 5, backing up, and it says, And I heard around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb that is Jesus be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. The call to rally is first and foremost not call to a symbol around a what but a who the wonderful irony of uh, our lives living on this side of the cross if I can put it that way compared to Nehemiah the people who were foreshadowing this great victory to come the wonderful irony is that when we rally, it's not that God might fight for us. It's primarily because God has fought for us and won. We rally to worship our king who's overcome the enemy, sin and death for us. We worship. We recognize that the wall that God's people were once building actually, in fact, became a wall of separation. Eventually, that wall would become the wall that kept the enemies out. That's why they were building the wall, to keep the enemies out. Only eventually God's people would realize that they themselves had become God's enemy. I've been working my way through the book of Ezekiel the last couple of months. It's a terrifying thought to realize I have become an enemy of God. And this is where the gospel comes in. We realize that we have all become enemies of God. We've all sinned. We've all, like the ancients, somehow reoriented the grace of God around us and thought that I'm the one who gets to sit on the throne. Surely I'm one of the 24 elders. Surely I'm one of the chosen ones. Surely God is impressed with me and who I am. Surely I've gotten it right. And so we need to keep those people out only to wake up one day and to realize there is no those people it's just holy God and us. And we've all become enemies of God. 
And God in Jesus Christ, because of his great love, came down and tore down the wall. He destroyed the wall that once separated us from him and one another and welcomed us home. Our great king has fought for us and won and tore down the wall. And so the call, the rally to come together is to worship, is to celebrate the victory that's been won, is to realize that I'm no longer an enemy of God. He's saved me. He's rescued me from myself and the kingdom of darkness. I was once an enemy and now I'm a son or a daughter. And that, that is a God worth worshiping. Number two, when the trumpet sounds, we rally to the call, serve. Acts chapter two, Jesus has conquered death. He actually comes back to life. You guys know, have you heard about this? God didn't just become one of us and die for us. But he actually came back to life. Kicked off the, the new age of the spirit. That's not new ageism. That's, that's, that's Bible talk. He invites us to begin uh, living out like this sort of foretaste of this resurrection life. It's incredible. It's like mind-boggling. And so he came back to life. And in Acts chapter 2, he ascends... And he says, but don't worry, stay in the city, the city, the wall's still there at that time. The Holy Spirit is going to come, and he's going to fill you, and he's going to do something, and I'm going to birth my church. It's going to be the inauguration of my church, my body. That's us. And then something begins to happen. When the people are together, it said that they had everything in common, and anyone who had a need, that need got met. And so when God's people rally together, we're meant to serve one another. We're meant to get to know each other, spend time with one another, interact in a way that we can begin to give and receive love. This is what happens when we come together. It's actually one of the reasons why we gather every Sunday. Now you might think, like, wait, wait a second, who's, who's getting their needs met here? And what form do I need to fill out? Because <laughs> I've got some needs. Maybe we need a form. Actually, to be fair, we do have a form. We have, we have people who have regularly come to me, regularly, several times, who have come to me and said, I have a financial hardship. Can the church help me? And I say, yes, we have a board of directors, we have elders, and we even have a form. We want to make sure this is done uh, right, with wisdom, with fairness. Fill out this form where we had people... I had major medical bills get paid. We've had people avoid foreclosures. We've had people not go homeless, either because of financial uh, giving or because of, like, I've got a couch. But if we don't come together, then there's really no way that we're going to, like, find out what are the needs. And so we come together, we come together, we come together, we come together. And occasionally I find out someone hasn't been coming together They've stopped gathering, and then I said, well, where, where have you been? What's been going on? Life's been really, really hard. I've had a lot going on, a lot of needs, and I'm like, you, you, 
You need to come here. How dare you not make your need known? What do you think we're doing here? We got, you got to come together. I know it's hard. I know it can, can feel embarrassing, super humbling. But we're trying to be the people of God. And when we rally together, there's the opportunity. How you doing? What's going on? Yeah, how's your wife doing? What about that need? Did you get that bill paid for? Talk to me. What's going on? We gather, we gather, we gather to meet one another's needs. Equally, it's, it's often, probably more often than not, not even necessarily about material needs. We're told in the book of Hebrews, this is um, one of the more famous verses that, gets, that pastors use when church attendance is low. And they say, it says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together is, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. When the trumpet sounds, when the call goes out, guys, let's rally. Come together. Let's bring it together. Bring it in. Who needs encouragement? How you doing? You look depressed. Come on. Talk to me. Let me build you up. Let me build you up. And we come together. There's, you know why we make coffee every week? Because I like coffee. But you know why else we make coffee every week? Because we were trying to create a sort of environment where people feel free, like, let me, let me linger. Let me hang out. Let me, let me be the last to leave. Let me shut the place down. Because when we do that, it's incredible the, the kind of opportunities that we get to encourage each other. Sometimes it just takes some lingering about. It's usually how relationships begin to get formed. It takes consistency. Like you've got to keep showing up. You've got to keep showing up. You're that guy. And I, before you know, we've gone from like casual, like just boring, insignificant chit-chat over by the coffee urns to like, yeah, let's pick up where we left off. Tell me more about, you, you mentioned something a couple weeks ago. What's, what's the status with that? How are you doing? And we begin to build each other up. It's a big deal. Encouragement. That's, like the, that's the, the platinum currency of the kingdom. Talk to me. Look me in the eyes. Tell me how you're doing. And then let me do my best in a non-unhelpful, superficial way. Like say something that's true and encouraging. Or maybe it's just, let me, let me stand with you. Let me resist the temptation to give you advice, because that's often, like, not super encouraging or helpful. Sometimes. But more often than not, people just need to know, like, dude, I, I see you. I see you. I've been seeing you. I think it's time. Like, I want to build you up. I want to build you up. And I'm going to need you to build me up. We gather. We encourage one another. Um, let me add this. This was kind of, kind of a warning. Um, there's a, an example for us in Paul's, the Apostle Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. Ancient church. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul's uh, correcting 
this group of Christians, talking to them about the way they're gathering. They're coming together. They have some sort of a regular frequency of gathering. And this is what he says. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. So you're not, it's not actually Jesus that you're centering your gathering around. For in eating, and for, for in eating each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? So this is like a, this is a, a rebuke, is what, what we call this. Paul is saying, look, when you come together, don't think this is just about you coming to get fed. And I think the sheep need to be fed. I want to feed my brothers and sisters. That's good. But when we get it in our heads, like, oh, I just come to this place to do my little religious thing, to do my communion, to do my worship, to do my little sermon, and I'm kind of in and out, not really considering that this isn't actually just about me. We're being like the Corinthians. And Paul would say, like, look, you're not, you're not doing the Jesus thing at all. You got it twisted. You're coming here to do your thing while others are being left unencouraged, hungry. Stop it. Don't forget the grace we've been given, the generosity that God has shown us. When you come together, be family. Serve one another. You want, and here's the, the wonderful irony of that is that really when we come looking to simply, quote-unquote, get fed, that's, there is no getting fed in that. Like, that gets really old really fast. It sort of morphs into this weird, like, individualistic consumerism kind of things. And then, and then you end up, the church either ends up becoming ingrown, super superficial. No one's really, like, trying to love each other. And eventually, you're just going to get bored or selfish or fed up or distracted and move on. And the whole thing just, it's just, we don't need, the world does not need more of that. But... When we come looking to serve, asking God, but use me. Won't you use me as a conduit of your goodness, of your grace, of your encouragement, of your joy? That's when the real feeding happens. That's when you actually get to experience the same kind of satisfaction that Jesus spoke of when he was ministering to the woman at the well, do you perhaps remember the story? Jesus' disciples went to go get some food, and they come back, and they're like, Jesus, we got it. We got the food. I don't know where they went. I don't know what they got, some falafel or something. And, and they're we got the food, and Jesus is like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I am, woo, I am satisfied. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Oh, it's good. It's a great meal. I feel full. This is the best. And there's great joy to be had. Now, it must be mutual, to be sure. You could, you could go to the other extreme and be like, oh, woe is me, the great martyr. I, I only give out. I only serve. And it's not about me. It's like, no, it is about you. And it's about me. And it's about us. And it's mostly about Jesus. And it's about coming together to give and receive love. And that's the second rally call as we gather which, by the way, let me, let me just say a couple of things um, practically. Practically. 
So Sunday services, kind of already hit that pretty hard, but then our, we call them ecclesias, which is the Greek word for church, lowercase ecclesia. Um, it's our small groups, our midweek small groups. Okay, most churches do something like this, and there's a really, really good reason for it. So we ha- it's our rhythm of gathering. We gather like this in a, in a unique way, sort of a larger gathering kind of way, but then we, we get into some smaller groups where more intimate conversation can be done. Real, really, you can only go so deep by the coffee urns. Like even if you do linger, you can linger all day. Eventually, you got to like sit down on a couch together. Be like, all right, let's, let's, re- let's get real now. And so that's why we actually place such a strong importance on coming together on Sundays and then during our seasons of ecclesia, gathering in those smaller settings. This isn't just like some arbitrary churchy thing that we do because this is what like 21st century American churches do. This is what we see as a biblical pattern. It's also how, practically how we gather and begin to give and receive love. So it's, it's not really optional for us. It's who we are. It's how we rally. Lastly, the third one, and that's the rally call to go. The rally call to go. Because there's a whole world out there that God so loves. And even if we get all of our needs met in this little place, no one's going broke, no one's getting left behind, everyone's getting built up. Everyone has someone to walk with during the hard parts of life. We could get all of that right. But there's a whole world out there that God so loves. And so we gather to build one another up. But the call will always go out. Go. Tell the world. Reach the nations. Reach your neighbors. Tell them the good news. Maybe they haven't heard. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And he's still up to his good works in people's lives. You know, when, going back to the book of Revelation, I believe it's chapter 21. John the the one who's seeing these visions. What it's going to look like when the work is done, when God finally completes this, this grand story that he's been telling. And he sees this vision of Jerusalem, the city, the city that Nehemiah is trying to rebuild, the wall. And John sees this new Jerusalem coming down. And we actually just read about it, didn't we? Say. The kingdom of this earth has become the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, Revelation 11. So he's watching this vision take place. And the new Jerusalem's coming down. Only it's spectacular. It's, it's obviously recognizable as the city. 
but it's different. And he sees a wall around the city, which every time I read, I'm like, ah, dang it. I was hoping there wouldn't be a wall. Like the wall's been torn down in Jesus, right? Here's the thing. We're told in Revelation 21 that there is a wall, but the gates won't shut. This is God's vision of the kingdom of heaven come down. I've been to Jerusalem. The city's still there, and there's actually another wall, like a really tall steel wall. I guarantee you, in a thousand years, that wall will not be standing, nor will this building, nor will you and I. But God's kingdom will. His eternal kingdom will come down and be established once and for all on earth as it's always existed in heaven. In this new city, God's vision, it will have a wall, but with gates that won't shut Because God's not trying to build a kingdom that excludes some people. Jesus came to rescue all people. Everyone has sinned. Everyone is counted an enemy of God. It doesn't matter what your sin is, what you're into, what your thing is. Everyone needs to be rescued. Everyone needs to be redeemed. Everyone has lost their way. Everyone has rebelled. It's the great equalizer of the gospel. Everyone gets invited to the party. Ironically, it's those who expected, who presumed, who thought, I'm, I deserve to be invited. They're the ones who get kicked out. They're the ones who Jesus deals with. He, it's their arrogance that he reacts so strongly to. And it's those who are weak, who feel rejected, who think they're not worthy, who think, I'll never get in, I'm not good enough. And Jesus comes along and he says, you, table of honor, I died for you. I shed blood for you and your sins. And if you try to shut that door on your way in, these are gates that don't shut. So the call, the rally call of the people of God is to go to the world, to plant more churches, to reach more students, to share the gospel with more people in word and in deed together. I hope, I hope that as a church family, eventually we can get to a place where there's enough healthy leadership, there's enough resources that we can seriously begin to talk about, dude, we got we to plan another church. It's time. The legal capacity for this building is 289. We're at 288. We got to start kicking people out. I.e., we got a vision to go reach the world. Let's go plant more churches. Let's go reach. You know, as a church, I've said this many times, but I'm, I'm going to say it over and over and over. Part of our vision as a church family, you may not know this. Let me tell you. Part of our vision as a church family is to reach college students. That's how I became a Christian. Not that that's the reason. Um, but it's, it's just a part of our, our heart as a church. Many of you um, in this room, you, you helped us start this church. You were part of the core team. And you probably remember me saying, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to plant a church and attempt to launch a campus ministry. That's what we're going to do. Are you guys in? And I think everyone was in. And that's what we've been trying to do. And that's what we're going to continue to try to do. We have an outreach going on at PSU. Um, and if you have WSU in Vancouver... I've got my eye on Reed College. And like basically wherever there's students, wherever the next generation exists, I'm like, let's go there. Let's take the gospel there. Let's start 
building relationships and introducing our friends to Jesus there. Because we've got a call to go. Not just do our thing. Yes, our door locks. Kind of useful. But let's be the kind of church where the gates don't shut. You guys with me? That's the call. To worship, serve one another, and to go. Can we stand together? I realize that um, this, this was a bit of a different message this morning. It may have felt a little bit like almost an in-house kind of, hey guys, this, this is what we're all about. Um, yeah, that's what it was. A little, little different. But we need to have these conversations. I think, it's, I, I think it's absolutely connected to the story. You say, well, I think maybe you're stretching a little bit. So whatever, so be it. I think it's, I think it's exactly what God wants for us. I, I, I believe that. And, um, and maybe for some of you, you're like, oh, okay, I feel like I sort of, I, I get what this church is about. I get it. Like, I think I get the vision. I see the need. And my question to you would be like, well, are, are you in? Are you in? Or where are you in? Are you following Jesus? Have you, have you begun to come to terms with the fact um, that we're all born into a world that's broken? Not because of those people, but us. Like we're all, we're all culpable. And yeah, we can, we can point fingers at each other or at this person or that, the other. But eventually the gospel confronts us and God says, no, no, no. I'm the judge. I'm the holy one. You are not. Um, you can either bow, you can get off your throne and bow to me and allow me to make you new. Um, or you can continue to be my enemy. And he gives us a choice. It's a heavy choice. And I would encourage you to consider that for yourself personally and make a decision. Once you've done that, then the next step is like, okay, who, who are your people? Who are you going to walk with? If not Grace City, oh, there's some fantastic churches in Portland. And in fact, it's not about this church or the other. It's about just finding where you're at and jump, jumping in, serving, realizing like, dude, this wall is way bigger than Grace City. This thing's way bigger than one local church. Like, we're, we're, we're in this together. But everyone's got to find their place where they give, where they serve, where they linger and drink coffee and get to know others. And I would invite you. If it's Grace City, then awesome. Jump in head first. Fill out a connection card and say, I'll serve the kids. Shoot, I can, I can sweep a floor. Awesome, jump in. Give. Give all you've got and receive, for sure, from others. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the wonderful gift it is, the joy it is to partner with you in the work that you're doing in the world. Lord, you have a wonderful vision. Thank you for including us in it. Father, would you help us to um, take a next step? For every, every one of us here today, it's 
there's always Jesus what, what now what next where would you lead me would you help us Lord to hear your voice and then to trust you to take a step to obey as we worship um, this final song 